Good morning. Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts 5, and uh, this, is, this is a fun passage uh, that we're going to work our way through, uh, and, I, and I'll get there at some point, I promise, okay? Um, but we're in a, a new series today. By the way, if you're new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor, uh, and, and thank you so much for, for joining us. And I want to tell you a little bit about how we got here today uh, to this particular series that we're calling Clear Truth for a Confused World. Clear Truth for a Confused World. And the story kind of starts actually a year ago. We did a series entitled Satan Hates Genesis 1. And we were traveling through that series. And what we were um, identifying is that the enemy, Satan, uh, was trying to disrupt uh, and trying to disqualify the scriptures right from the beginning, like literally the beginning, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, all things in the Christian faith start with, well, what do we think about God? What do we think about who God is? And here at Redemption for six years now, um, we have believed that God is exactly who he says in this book. That it doesn't matter what culture says, it doesn't matter what your friend says, it doesn't matter what the leading intellectuals say, it matters what this says. And at the beginning, this says that God created the heavens and the earth. And the world now wants to disrupt that idea that God created the heavens and the earth. And then from that, just break down Genesis 1. Uh, and then how can you trust the rest of the book if you can't trust the beginning of the book? And so that was a year ago. And as we were kind of getting close to this fall and talking about, okay, what do we want to do in the fall and, and where do we want to go? Um, we, and then last week or last year, that was like a five-year series. And we kind of worked through some of this baseline stuff. And so uh, we made a joke. We said, well, why don't we do Satan H Genesis 2? All right. And then somebody was like, are we really going to do this for 50 years? Because there's 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. And I was like, I don't know if I'll still be preaching in 50 years. So, um, well, we, we won't do that. Uh, but then we kept talking about it. But what we were uh, kind of leaning into there on the same Genesis 2 is we said, well, we want to lay foundation again, but we want to lay it down a little bit differently than we did last year. Uh, and what we want to do is we want to look at the heart of Genesis 2. And what we see in Genesis 2 is God's order. See, we serve a God of order, not of chaos. And the God of order created an orderly uh, world that he, uh, and he made a plan for it that is a really good plan. And the plan, as it's laid out in uh, some of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, looks something like this. God creates man. And then out of man, God creates woman. And then they get married in Genesis chapter 2. And then later in Genesis chapter 4, after this little thing was sin, okay, in Genesis chapter 3, they start a family. And then after that, those families grow and it forms a society. And there's the order that God created. And so these five weeks are walking through the order that God structured the world to look like. Men, women, marriage, family, society. And... Right now, we live in a world, and uh, over the last few weeks in prep for this, uh, we've said there's two teams. There's Team Satan and there's Team Jesus. There's Team Truth Suppression and there's Team Truth Telling. And we live in a world right now that wants to suppress the truth. And you say, well, where do you get that phrase? Right from the Bible itself in Romans that talks about how uh, men of this world will want to suppress the truth down. They'll want to suppress the truth. Why? So that they can preserve their power and so that they can wreak havoc on the world. And this is led by, as Jesus says, your father, the devil, or Satan, the father of lies. 
And so, what is our quest here in this series? Our quest is to, another way we could have labeled this series is, let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the basics. Let's go back to the beginning, and let's see what did God create? What plan did he have in mind when he set all of this in motion? For he has a good plan. In John 10.10, these are Jesus' words uh, in the New Testament, and he says this, the thief, Satan, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Notice the word there, only. The only reason Satan shows up on the scene scene is to steal and kill and destroy. Nothing good comes out of him. It's all bad. His ways are all bad. There isn't some like middle ground where team Jesus and team Satan get to like hold hands in the middle and say, well, at least we can agree on this. No, no, no. Team Satan, the thief, he only comes to steal and kill and destroy. And over the last few weeks, months, or really over the last two to three years in particular, I think many of us have been noticing that the enemy is doing more stealing and killing and destroying than any time in our lives. And last week, I shared a story about my daughter, Reagan, and uh, I thought that there was uh, maybe an intruder in our house because something fell off the, the wall, and it was really loud and all of that. And I was like, oh, no, this is like in the middle of the night. And so I was upstairs kind of deciding what I was going to do, right? I was like, I have to go check this, right? And so I walked into another room to grab something. And when I walked in to grab something, my daughter went downstairs. And so then all of my indecision was gone. The moment my daughter went downstairs and she was in danger, all of a sudden dad had to act. And so I went downstairs. And I think a lot of us are noticing over the last couple of weeks and months in particular that the attack on our children uh, is growing at an increasing rate. And it's getting out, it's not getting out of hand. It's been out of hand for a while. Now it's just getting blatant and publicly evil. Evil. And so this series came out of acknowledging all of that and saying enough is enough. That there comes a point in history when the church has to stand up and say, this will not happen on our watch. We will fight back or You can take whatever action you want against us. But like the church in Acts chapter 4 said, uh, whether it is right to do this or not, you guys can judge. But we have to say what we have seen and heard from the Lord. And church, that's our call. What we have seen, what we have heard, and what we know, we have to proclaim. And what we have seen and heard, yeah, there's an experiential element of our relationships with Christ. But what we have seen and heard has been written in this book. And it is time that our world, our country, our city, our state, we could take it down, but then our own families and ourselves go back to the basics. What did God create? What did he have in mind? See, after the verse uh, or the line, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy, right? And we've seen him do this all over the place. The, The next line, Jesus says this, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Let me say it in plainer words. Satan has a plan, and it's really bad. God has a plan, and it's really good. And the lies of our culture right now is that Jesus' plan is bad, and uh, Satan's plan is good. 
And the lies of our culture right now are trying to break into people's mind and heart and get us to uh, try to um, uh, almost acquiesce on what we know to be true. See, later on uh, in the same gospel of John, Jesus writes or speaks these words and they're later recorded. He says, sanctify them. He's talking about his followers. He says, sanctify them in your truth. And then he goes on to say, your word is truth. Just to clear up any confusion later. Your word is true. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. In other words, he's saying uh, uh, the, the, the Christians, and Jesus is part of his high priestly prayer where he's praying, excuse me, praying for future generations of Christians. He's praying for you and me. You and me. And what Jesus is saying is this, uh, and sanctify means this, set them apart in a holy way for service to your kingdom. He says, set them apart, and the way they're going to be set apart, the way that Christians will be set apart for generations, and it was true 2,000 years ago, and it's true to this day, the way we will be set apart is by our adherence to the truth, to an unchanging truth. So this series is about laying that truth out so that we might be sanctified, set apart, made more like Christ by holding to that truth. And there's a lie. There's a lie. A few of them out there. Um, one of them is this, and Christians have bowed to this lie too much, okay? Um, one of the lies is that somehow holding on to truth is unloving, okay? As if it is somehow better to just not hold on to truth and to let people die under the enslavement of the enemy, how that, 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 that is one of the lies. The other lie is that Christians should take their truth and kind of lock it up in their little circles, in their little buildings, in their little churches, and just hold on to it and let everyone else <laughs> die under the reign of distortion and lies. And both of these things are lies. They're both lies. It is the only loving thing to do is to speak truth. It's the only loving thing to do. And the only loving thing to do is when you know you have the truth, to take it to every sphere and part of our society. To not bury our heads in the sand and tell people, you know what, you can live under the reign of the lies, but I'll just sit in my church building and live in the truth. But to wake up and to go bring that truth into every sector of our society. This in, in part, then, uh, is what, again, has motivated everything we're doing um, uh, in this series. And so uh, that's, my, that's my setup, okay? Uh, and not just for today, but for the whole series. I got a couple quotes for you. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of fun. Let me give you the first one here. This one was on your mailer, if you received it. Uh, and uh, this is the first one. I think masculinity... Oh, so we're talking about men today, if you didn't figure that out, Okay. I think masculinity is bravado against the mystery of the universe of women. This was a, Katie Lang said this, cultural individual. Okay. Is this true? Is it true that we live in a universe of women? Now, if you watched any superhero movie lately, you would think so, right? Because only women can be heroes now in our, in our movies. Right, that there, that there is this, this universe of women, right? And masculinity is like man's attempt to fight what is uh, clearly a woman's world. 
This is one perspective. Now, here's another perspective similar to it. This uh, individual is a professor, okay, at the University of Kansas, and she's a professor of anthropology, okay? Here's the quote. There are actually no neat divisions between physically or genetically male or female individuals. I, for one, can think of at least one physical difference. The idea of a gender binary was, quote, imposed by Christian colonizers. No, ma'am, the idea of gender binary was created by the God of the universe. There's male and there's female. And all you have to do is go back to the beginning. And uh, um, at times then what the world will say is, well, Stephen, you can't use the Bible to prove your points. Yes, I can, because it's true. You can't use whatever you make up in your mind to prove your points because yours are false. I can use the Bible because it's true. Whether you believe it or not, it's still true. And here's what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And here's the, I want to walk uh, you through today just a couple of lies uh, that we see. One is a cultural lie. It's a lie kind of like uh, that's being told to all of the world or all of our culture. And then I want to walk through three lies specifically aimed at men, okay? Uh, and, and guys, I want, to, I want to hit you with these three because I think these are the three most common lies that Satan uses to get men not to be men. And so I want to walk you through them, okay? Uh, and here's the, the first one, okay? Uh, the first one, we're in Acts chapter 5, right? Uh, I told you we'd get there. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It's kind of funny because you read the first three words of Acts chapter 5, and it's already controversial in 2022. It says this, but a man. Well, how do we know he's a man? Does he identify a man? Did a biologist say he was a man? How do we know he's a man, right? He's a man. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, here's the first lie, and this is amazing that I have to preach on this in 2022. The lie is what? Men and women are the same. And what is the truth? Men and women are different. Men and women are different. They have been created male and female by God. They have been created different. And that there are differences. There are different roles in the household. There are different roles in the church. Uh, they are given a different mandate on their lives, okay? Uh, they are created different. They are relationally different. Dude, if you try to go to the bathroom with me, that's weird, okay? Right? The other side apparently works. I don't know. <laughs> We're different. We're different. And, and listen, the, the lie is not just about um, uh, certain elements of society or cultural power. There's something more going on underneath in trying to blur the lines between the differences of men and women. What it is, is it is an attempt to disrupt the entire plan that God had. And so this is why we're seeing it in our schools, right? If you ever want to know what Team Truth Suppression is up, just go look and see what they're trying to do in the schools, that's the easiest indicator because what they're going to do is they're going, and this is, is this not a, like the, the, just the clear sign that Satan is behind it, that the greatest venom in it, uh, is going to go against children, that we live in a faith where Jesus says, let the little kids come unto me. Okay, let them come unto me. Theirs is the kingdom of God. And Satan says, I'm going to try to kill the kid in the womb, but then if he gets it out, I'm going to try to indoctrinate him with lies. 
That's how you know that Team Satan is up to something. Because he hates kids. Our side loves children. Loves them in the womb, right? And wants them to know the truth. I was at a point somewhere and I don't know what it was. Okay. Ananias. Yes. That guy. Oh, here was my point. The point of trying to blur the lines here between men and women, uh, again, it's not, just, it's not just some small thing. It's an attempt to disrupt the whole society, right? And then it's an attempt to, um, to pass this on to children so that they're confused as they go. Why? Because they're trying to unsettle God's entire plan. His whole plan. It's almost like the equivalent, okay, where, um, you know, 60 years ago, the issue was, okay, well, God didn't create the universe, right? And so if I don't believe God created the universe, then all of these other things are true. Okay, so that was one attack. Okay, now here's another attack, and it's a starting point. Men and women are different or are, are the same. It's just the enemy's second starting point of doing the same thing, which is trying to disrupt and destroy God's plan. So... What's the response to this? I love 1 Corinthians 16. Dudes, if you've ever been to a men's event, you've heard this verse before. Uh, and it's one of my favorite. And uh, by the way, some modern commentators or whatever, they'll try to like say, oh, no, that's not exactly what it means. So it is exactly what it means. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Don't you love that the author ends that with let all that you do be done in love? Almost as if he knew 2,000 years later that the phrase be watchful or stand firm in something or act like men or be strong would be seen as combative against love. In the scriptures, love is always tied to being firm, to being strong, and to standing for something. It is only culture now that has tried to twist that to make those two things disconnected. But the verse says very clearly, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and act like men. Now, guys, November 5th, we have a men's event. And I'm going to pound this verse out. And I'm going to walk us through what I think this verse is teaching us. But I'll, let me give you just a snapshot uh, of what is going on here. Uh, act like men. I think when you look at this biblically, we see three things that acting like men. I got to hit these quickly because I got to hit my other points. But here's three things. First is this. Godly men get angry about the right things. Somebody the other day was checking out our church and they said, I don't know. Your pastor seems kind of angry. To clarify, I am angry. I don't seem angry. And injustice and unrighteousness and passivity by the church should always make godly men angry. Jesus was angry when he walked in and he saw the religious center not acting the way that it should. And godly men, it is time to get angry about the right things. And we have lived in a world and a culture that has tried to pacify us so much as to never get stirred up. And there are certain things that should stir us up and that should fire us up. And in our anger, do not sin. 
Do not sin in your anger. Let everything that we do be done in love. But if it makes God angry, it's going to make me angry. And injustice makes God angry. Unrighteousness makes God angry. It says that God hates a lying tongue. And so when we look at the, um, the, 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 the centers of our culture and we see how much it is based in lies and deceit, that should make us angry because it makes God angry. Our problem right now in our culture is not, oh, all the Christian men are angry. That's not the problem. Number two, godly men pursue the right things. They pursue the right things. And I know we've got all these pursuits, all these things we're chasing, all of this stuff. Well, in uh, 1 Timothy, we are encouraged. We are encouraged to pursue Christ, to pursue Christ like an athlete pursues winning, like a soldier pursues the battlefield, to pursue Christ like the farmer pursues growing the crop, to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus. And men, we do need to get angry about the right things, but the only way we can be angry about the right things is when we're pursuing the right thing, Jesus. Jesus. Not just cultural victories, not just our own initiatives and endeavors, but Christ. Christ be magnified in me. Third thing, third thing, and I'll hit this more, is that uh, godly men get passionate about the right things. The right things fire them up, and they go after it. And then we live in a culture that is very passionate about fantasy football and very passionate about real football and very passionate about making money and very passionate about our hobbies. We need some men who are passionate about Jesus, passionate about Christ, that he is our deepest, our greatest pursuit. Let me say it this way. I wrote it down, so I'd say it the way I wanted to. Injustice fuels righteous anger, which promotes action, which forms passion. Let me say it again. Injustice fuels righteous anger, which promotes action, which forms passion. And when we see the wrong things happening, it should stir us up, cause us to take action. And as we begin to take action toward that thing, anything we take action to consistently, we become passionate about. And so let's pursue those things. All right. Where was I? Third word. Okay. But a man, act like men, named Ananias. This guy does not act like men. I'm like a man. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, so he's a married man, sold a piece of property. In that time, he's a wealthy man. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. You're going to see here in a second, he's a deceptive man. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He's a lying man. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? He's kind of a stupid man. And after it was sold, it was not at your disposal. Why is it that you have contrive this deed in your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He's now a dead man. And great fear came upon all who heard it. This is a striking story. And it's right at the beginning of the New Testament. We are used to these stories a lot, and we're like, those are Old Testament. No, no, no. This one's New Testament. And you know what's even scarier? This is the first married couple mentioned after Christ's resurrection. The first one. 
There is, uh, of course, because first they're always important, there's a comparison that is being made in this story to Adam and Eve and then Ananias and Sapphira, the first couple that existed and the first couple that exist post the resurrection. And there's this parallel that I want to draw that I think teaches us what God was looking for from men in his new covenant and what the lies would be that would stop men from becoming who God called them to be. And so, guys, I want to give you three lies, okay, that I think the enemy is using to hold us back from being who God wants us to be. And ladies, if uh, some of these lies certainly might apply to you as well, okay, but I think they're predominantly lies that Satan uses to attack men, right? Uh, and even ladies, if you're like, well, I'm not a man, why am I here? Well, you probably know one, okay? And, uh, and, and, and in some regard, all truth is truth, and understanding Scripture uh, in that way is helpful. But I think we see the three lies right here in the story. Let me give them to you. Here's distortion number one. Men, I can control everything. Here's the clear truth. No, you can't. And what Ananias is trying to do in this situation is he's trying to control everything. And this is the temptation of man from the beginning. We want to control everything. He's trying to control his wife, okay, in a non-biblical way, right? We'll talk more about that over, uh, throughout this series, okay? So he's going to try to control his wife. He's trying to control people's perception of him. He's trying to control his greed, okay, while still being looked at as generous. He thinks he can lie his way to success and control the narrative, and this is the sign uh, of an ungodly man. An ungodly man is up there, and what the ungodly man is doing is trying to control everything, spin everything, um, uh, say the right things here, look the right way there, be at the right place here, uh, make sure I make this comment over there, make sure I make that comment to my wife behind the scenes, and control it all. And the ungodly man will do that, and that's what Ananias does. The problem is this, you can't control everything. There's so much, guys, that are outside of our control. And let me take it a step further. You have not been designed or created to control everything. But yet the enemy feeds a lie to us and says, control it, control it, control it. You can control everything. And so what, what we do, man, even when we can see that things are spinning out of control, we still try to control. And here's the deal. If you want to be in control, the first thing you need to do is give up control to the one who is actually in control, Jesus, or your sovereign Lord. Jesus said it this way, whoever wants to find his life will lose it, whoever wants to lose his life will find it. Back in Genesis chapter four, when sin broke into the world, the, uh, it was said by God to Cain, the guy who uh, commits the first murder, he said this, he said, sin will always be crouching at your door. You will control it or it will control you. And what was being set up there was this idea that for all of eternity, men would wrestle with control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guys, we can live a life where we are trying to control everything, controlling people's perception of us, uh, trying to control every part of the, the people in our lives, or we can surrender control to the one who is actually in control. And when we surrender control to the one who is actually in control by placing our faith in Christ, then the, re, uh, the result of that is that self-control begins to grow up inside of us. 
And the way, men, that we often so try to control is this. We think, well, my way is the best way. And we always think my way is the best way. And we control by saying our way is the best way as opposed to submitting our way to God's way and to letting him teach us. And this applies to every part of our lives. And some of us, where we're at right now, men, and the reason we're not able to walk in the fullness of what God has for us is because we've allowed God to control certain things of our lives, but not all of them. And so, God, you can have this and you can have that, but I'm going to run my family the way that I want to. I'm going to handle sexuality the way that I want to. I'm going to handle money the way that I want to. And so you can control those things, God, but I'm going to control this. Instead of submitting all of it to his lordship and his control, you have all of it, God. You are in complete control. I am your servant. You don't serve me. Man, it changes. Changes our prayer life. Changes how we live when we move from, God, you exist to serve me to I exist to serve you. And some of us, we would never say that. But if you look at your prayers... (laughs) If you look at how you view your relationship with God, it's more about, hey, what are you doing for me? Then I am totally submitted to you. First step was act like a man. The second step is what? Surrender control to him. Surrender control to Christ. You say, well, that's kind of scary. Yeah, sure. But can I tell you what? The eternity you will face if you try to maintain control is way scarier. Surrender it. Submit control to him. Second lie uh, that we see here specifically, I think, to this text in Ananias is this lie. And I think this lie, um, uh, man, it is rampant. All of these are. But this one is this. My sin only affects me. My sin only affects me. This is a lie by the enemy, uh, I think, aimed toward men to think, okay, I can do whatever I want, uh, and as I do it, it's really not that big of a deal. It, It doesn't affect anybody else. It only affects me. The entire porn industry is built on this lie, all of it. The entire porn industry is what I do doesn't matter. Right? This emerged, right? When uh, in our culture, right? Like, uh, you know, as public figures were sinning in private, we began to say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What they do in the private, that doesn't matter. No, our sin, the lie is, my sin only affects me. But biblically, this just isn't true. Romans 5, let me read it to you. All of my verses here are from. A chapter 5. I don't, I don't know. The Bible just kind of written in like sequence or something. Okay. Here we go. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What's the beginning there? One man sinned, Adam, and guess what? Sin and death spread to everyone. Is if Adam, the original man, is a picture of the rest of man, Adam could have been like, it's okay, this sin won't, I'm sure it won't be that big of a deal. It ruined everything. Now, your sin might not ruin everything like Adam's did, but it's a, uh, it's a picture of what happens. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, we see this verse. 
Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? That what this is, there's a man, he's caught up in sexual sin and he's being braggadocious about it and very blatant and public about it. And uh, Paul is looking in at the church and he's going, guys, don't you understand something? Sin affects everyone. In this context, sin affects the whole church. It affects the whole church. It doesn't just stay. And the, the lie of the enemy, guys, and one of the reasons we don't walk in the fullness of who God wants us to be is because we have this picture of sin that it's not that big of a deal as long as it's not directly hurting somebody else. And so we say, oh, no, no, my sin, my sin only affects me. Look at Acts 5, 6. Back in our original story, look how sin affects us. Look at this verse. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Who carried out Ananias? The young men. Why? Because our sin affects future generations. And our sin affects what it looks like for um, uh, the, the next generation, in this case, has to come and pick up the mess. That's the point of this story right here. The young man had to go, okay, the older guy here, in this case, Ananias. And by the way, when I talk about generations here, I'm not talking about like, you know, boomers and millennials and Z and all of that kind of stuff. Right now, the generation is all of us who are alive, okay? Well, however old we are, we are alive right now for this season and this time. We, all of us collectively, are the generation, okay? I'm not talking about like, you know, 70-year-old versus 30-year-old. And what I'm saying here is this, that sin in this way affects future generations. And part of what this series is about and understanding all of this is we're looking out at a world and we're saying, I don't want the next generation to have to clean up the mess, so let's do something about it. Let's do something about it. Let, let's clean it up. This is why ungodliness is, uh, uh, is a big deal. This is why sin is a big deal. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, there's all these new people. I can't believe you're talking about sin. This series is called Clear Truth. Okay, you should have expected this. Because <laughs> there's another confused world that thinks that sin isn't real. Our sin, guys. Our sin affects everyone. It affects us, yes. It affects marriage. It affects kids. It affects the church. It affects the community. And so if you're like fired up right now and you're like, I want to see this world different. I want to change this world. I want to do all of this. I want to see uh, this world one back to, to Christ or I want to see this world return to normal, all of this kind of stuff. Here's my third step for you this morning. Stop sitting. Let me say it a different way. We don't have the right, guys, to look out at the world and call it so messed up and it's so bad and all of that kind of stuff and to keep on in our own life rejecting God and his standard. Guys, if we want to see this world become a better place, let it start with us. At home, with your wife, with your kids, when no one is watching. Christ be magnified in me. Holiness. Back to the basics. Holiness. Passionate about holiness. Pursuing holiness. Even a little bit of anger, righteous anger at ourselves when sin takes us over. 
pursue that. That's a godly man. And I think, and I don't know why, maybe, maybe this always happens. I'm, I'm not old enough to, to speak about previous, you know, decades and all of that kind of stuff, but it seems like under the lie of, oh, we're being too religious, we have put holiness aside. And we said, oh, we, we don't want to be like those people you, where you can't, you know, play with playing cards and, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, some of you remember those eras, right? We don't want to do that, so we're just going to kind of revert and, and we'll go and swing the pendulum over. Listen, we can, we can throw off unnecessarily, unnecessary man-made restriction and religion, but not lose the heart, excuse me, the heart of holiness. And guys, as a church... As a church, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, it's going to be because we have men who are pursuing holiness. Holiness. Let's go get it. That's the second lie, right, directed at men. My sin only affects me. It's really not that big of a deal. Um, Romans 13, 14, by the way. Let me just give you a verse that might help you with this. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's a great verse. How do you do this, men, by the way? Um, let me give you one trait that's going to be necessary. The, the Old uh, Testament figure, Daniel. Okay, great biblical figure. Uh, it's my middle name. I was named after this guy. And then we, we gave my, my youngest son the middle name too because of who this guy was. And here's one of the things uh, in Daniel chapter 1. You, we can miss this verse sometimes, but it's right there at the beginning. And it shows us the secret to Daniel's success. And it was this, that he resolved to be holy. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've resolved to do a lot of things and didn't follow through. Resolve to spend more time with the kids. Resolve to make sure I spend more time with my wife. Right? Resolve to, uh, I'm never going to do that again, or I'm going to finally do this, or I'm going to do that. I'm talking more hypothetically now. Right? Like I'm, all of these things, resolve, 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 resolve. And where there is no follow-through, right, there is no transformation. And for Daniel, he resolved to do something, and then he did it. And I think the author was writing in there that Daniel's success later on in life was a, a direct result of the fact that he was able to resolve to godliness and actually walk it out. Guys, the same can be true for you and I. And a confused world needs holy men. A confused world needs holy men. Last lie, last lie. Uh, and then I want to I circle back at the end, by the way. I'll just I'll add this in. I want to circle back in because I know some of us are like, okay, but what if I already sinned? What if it's already in the past? Like, like it, the Christ we serve, the God we serve has already forgotten about it. And if you have taken it up with him and you have sought forgiveness and repentance, you can forget about it too and move on. Own up to it, men. Own up to it, and then move on. That's the call that is given to the Christ follower when it comes to our sin. Here we go now. Last lie. Guys, let me, have you ever fallen, fallen into this one? Ananias isn't given a chance to respond to all the questions. I really wish he would have got, been given a chance. Because Peter goes after him. He's like, Ananias, why did you do this? And why did you do that? And what's wrong with you? And all of this kind of stuff. And, and you're like kind of reading and you're like waiting for this moment for Ananias to give his excuse. <laughs> but God just goes, boom. Ends it before he does. 
right? By the way, if you're wondering about um, where is the grace in this story, Ananias, whoa, the grace in the story was that God knew how horrible sin was and he was protecting the rest of his church in his name. That's what's going on. Anyway, okay. Adam, Adam, okay, in the original story is um, uh, given a chance to uh, own up to his mistakes. And what does Adam do? Uh, at first, what he does is he tries to hide from God. The second thing, and come up with an excuse, the second thing Adam does later is he makes a little, like, fig leaf thing. Remember this part of the story? He makes a little, like, clothes out of fig leaves, and, and then he wears it. And, and what's the lie here? Here's the lie, man. The lie is this. I can fix it myself. I can fix it myself. Okay? And guys, I don't know how many of you have spent way too much money trying to fix something in your house that you couldn't fix yourself, okay? I have learned at this point in time that there is nothing in my house I can fix myself, okay? Um, I once knew a guy, okay, this is a long time ago, and he resolved to build out his attic, Okay? And so I remember going up there one day, and it, I mean, whoosh, mess, right? Okay? I went to his house nine years later, and the attic looked exactly the same. There was still a saw in the front doorway. People lived in this house nine years later, okay? Now listen, I'm not just making fun of all of us guys if we have unfinished projects. I'm making fun of the idea, or I'm challenging the idea of us thinking, I can fix it myself. And that's the lie from the enemy, that I can fix it myself. That whatever is going on, whatever the enemy is fighting me for, whatever area I can't seem to get past, wherever I haven't submitted control uh, over to the Lord, whatever I'm trying to do, I can fix it myself. And some of us, we have been caught up in sin patterns for years or decades even, and you have told yourself over and over, I can fix it myself, I can fix it myself, I can fix it myself, and it hasn't gotten fixed. You've been in a marriage that has been struggling and on the rocks, and you've been saying, we can fix it, or I can fix it, I can fix it, I can fix it, and it's not getting any better. You uh, have found yourself in situations that you said, we'll never get back to that situation, and then the situation repeats itself, and you thought in the gap between the two, I can fix it myself. That's the lie. And the enemy tries to plant that lie in our hearts and in our minds, guys, so that we won't actually do what we need to do because the clear truth is what? You need help. You need help. And that's not a bad thing. I want to tell you about three ways of uh, help comes to us as uh, godly men, and I'll hit these more at the conference or at the uh, event on the fifth as well, guys. You can't preach a men's event without preaching 27, Proverbs 27, 17, right? And that is this. That is, iron sharpens iron, so one man strengthens another. Proverbs 18.1, a fool isolates himself. James 5.16, uh, if you confess your sins to one another, right? If you confess, then you have that guy pray for you, says you will be healed. And the confession in James 5.16, it's not like talking about like so that guy can forgive you before God. What it's talking about is there's something about the act of sharing with another guy that God actually uses to heal us. And guys, I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what's going on in your marriage, and I don't know what's happening, but I can tell you that if you have been trying to fix it yourself, you will be trying to fix it yourself for the rest of your life. You will. And back to the basics. 
Understanding how it is that God laid out the order and the structure is us men figuring out how do I deal with what I got to deal with so that I can go do what God wants me to do. And so we need each other, guys, and we'll talk all about that on the 5th. Second thing is this. Proverbs 31.10. Proverbs 31.10 says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen? I know I did. Right? And what's the verse saying? You know that in Genesis, we'll talk about this next week, the woman is called the helper to the man. We need help. Guys, what does that mean? It means you need your wife. Guys, and some of us guys who have been married, whether it's been a little bit or a lot bit, we think we're awesome. Only the girls are laughing. (laughs) We think we're awesome, but we forgot that before her, we weren't very awesome. And we think, oh, I'll be awesome without her. No, you won't. You were never awesome before her. She made you awesome. And some of us have forgotten that she made us awesome, and we no longer think she's awesome, so we think we can be awesome without her. And that's a lie. And you need to remember the work that God did through her and through a mutual sanctifying marriage to make you more awesome. Don't. Don't, guys. Do not fall into the lie. Do not fall into the lie. I'll I'll be more awesome without her. Now, you might need help, guys. You might need some counseling. And instead of it always being the wife who calls me, how about some guys start doing it? Get it fixed. Don't let it go. We've got people around here that would love to sit down with you guys, both of you, and walk you through it and help you through it. Because when we say... Till death do us part around here. We mean it. We mean it. So guys, we need help. You need help. Remember her. God gave you to her. Man, I've learned this in my own life. When I try to do something apart from Lindsay, goodness. When Lindsay's involved in it, greatness. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I've seen your wardrobe change over the last six years. I get it, kid. (laughs) There'll be pictures that pop up on Facebook between 2009 and 2013, and Lindsay will just be like, I married that guy? Wow. Last thing we need, guys. We need a savior. You need a savior. Because as much as we need help from other guys, and as much as we need help from our wives, The place we needed the most help was in the biggest problem that we all faced, sin. And Romans 5, 15 tells us about the man, the man who came to help us. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died, the free gift is referencing salvation. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. I'm just going to keep going. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. In other words, the best attempts of men 
apart from Christ was condemnation for all. That was our best effort. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, that's us, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We needed help, men. We needed spiritual help, and still the tendency for men is to think we can do our salvation on our own. I can be righteous enough. I can be holy enough. I can show up enough. I can be good enough. No, you can't. You needed help, but you got it in the greatest man, Christ. Jesus who came down. The one who's, who never sinned, so his sin wouldn't affect everyone else, took everyone else's effects of sin on himself and faced it on the cross. Why? so that you and I might be able to walk in the freedom of new life, so that you and I might be able to walk in our salvation. And men, if you are here today and you've never done this, then the other three things I've talked about are fool's errands until you embrace the help of your salvation that comes to you. That's the starting point for men. That's the starting point. And so have you embraced your ultimate help? And you know what's interesting? When Jesus goes up, you know what he says? He says, I'm going to send who? The helper. So Jesus is the help that brings us forth our salvation. Then he sends us the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can what? Help us. And guys, apparently, we're so thick, we needed good friends, a wife, and the Holy Spirit. All right? And that's okay. I'll take everything I can get. Are you? And are you walking in the help? And why? 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 What's at stake? What's at stake? In the Old Testament story of David, the nation is under the rule of an ungodly and an unrighteous man. And David has been sent out. He's had to run and he's had to hide and he's in a cave. In the cave, all of these guys start showing up. And all of these guys start showing up and all of them have a past. And they have a kind of past that other people would look and say, I don't know about that guy. I don't know about that guy. But they all start showing up in David's cave. And uh, there, that, that group of men begins to form into uh, a community, which then begins to turn, uh, turn into an army. And as you read through the stories, you see something happen. And that is, as David's men begin to gather, despite their past or their previous errors and sins, as they begin to gather, other good men start to gather with them. Them, and all of the bad men either run or repent. See, when there is a place where godly men begin to rise up and when godly men begin to act like men, begin to pursue holiness and begin to seek the help from their Savior that they need, what happens is good men, other good men, begin to gather around. And then those good men all begin to grow in Christ and then they go and they bring the gospel to the world. And the weak men... The unrighteous men, when good men stand up and gather, the unrighteous men will either run or repent. And that's what's at stake, guys. And we could have sat here today and we could have talked a little bit more about uh, some jokes around culture and all of that kind of stuff. And I don't want to be absent to what's going on there. And I tried to weave some of that in. But if we want to see something happen in our world and in our church, it doesn't start by pointing ourselves to what culture is doing. It starts with what is Christ doing in me. 
That's where it starts, guys. So, men, we got a lot to do, and we can do it together. And I've laid out some early steps for you, and I hope we'll all take them. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.